Listen, I have an idea. An idea. An idea. Whatever today has given you Five eleven headaches still call it Thanksgiving True Welcome to another edition of the Super Duper Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Briggs, here with the super producer, Ez McMahon. Yes. <laughs> What's going on, Rob? How you doing? I'm moving to Arizona, bro. How about yourself? I might be moving to Florida. Yo, this this snow is molly whopping us, man. But this is a super duper podcast. Thank you for listening to us. Check us out on Instagram at S-U-P-A-D-U-P-A-P-O-D. And it's S-U-P-A. D-U-P-A-P-O-D, all Sri Lanka Barbies and Bitcoin traders are allowed and and encouraged. Shout out to you. Also follow us on hp53productions.com for our merch. I could have used an addition of Southside DNA Scully and a sweatshirt while I was shoveling all of the snow outside today is so go guys go to the website check out our merch also with your favorite podcast and a nice little mug for your hot toddy your 100% uh, cranberry juice, what have you. And also on hp53productions.com, you can find more content such as the Father Good podcast with Marshall Givens and Kenny Stevenson, and also our own Ez McMahon with the Easy Smoke and GM podcast, the sports podcast, aka the, uh, what, what do I call it? The Bears, uh, the Bears support group <laughs> podcast, wherever you get your <laughs> podcast. What are you guys talking about this week? Uh, what do we talk about this? We talked about the hiring of uh, Matt how Eberflus. So that's how you say his name. I was saying superfluous. Superfluous. <laughs> Eberflus. Okay. Matt that's Eberflus. So they were introduced. Uh, Eberflus and uh, and Ryan Poles, the GM, were introduced to the media this week. So we talked about their press conference. Yeah. Uh, we obviously talked about uh, the great championship weekend that was uh, in the yeah. NFL. Uh, the Rams and the Bengals going to the Super Bowl and uh, talked a little bit, little Bulls basketball. So, yeah, good, uh, good episode went up a couple of days ago. So, you know, the big sport news are this week. Well, not big. It's a lot of big news, right? Tom Brady retiring, obviously. But then also that Brian Flores story, right? Because yes. on, a, on, a, on a few episodes ago, I was saying, right, hope we get Brian, Brian Flores. And I was just saying it flippantly, you know what I mean? Because it's like he was considered a great coach. And then all of a sudden he got no job and now he's suing the NFL. So he was, he was uh, branded as being somebody that was um, what's, what's, what's the word difficult Uh, being difficult and uh, insubordinate Mm. um, when it came to his relationships with, within uh, the organization and then come to find out that the team wanted him, the, the Dolphins wanted him to tank and offered him $100,000 per loss uh, in 2019 in order to tank in order to get a top pick. And he wasn't going for it. You know, that's the the integrity of the game. You know, yeah. you, you're supposed to, you know, you play to win the game. And uh, he said no to that. So that was that was part of the reason they said he was insubordinate. Oh. Um, he then... Um, Team owner wanted him to meet with a um, with a, a, a top quarterback in the league to possibly get him 
to uh, join the Dolphins, which at the time would have been seen as tampering. Mm -hmm. And he said no to that. And so that's why he was seen as being insubordinate with the team. So that that's, you know, why he got fired by the Dolphins. Uh, then he right. finds out uh, he's interviewing for the job with the Giants. And then his old boss, Bill Belichick, um, has uh, sent him a text message mistakenly uh, saying congratulations on getting the Giants job. And so he's like, wait a minute. I, I don't interview for another three days. What what are you talking about? And, you know, they, they continue to talk. And then finally, he says, are you talking to me? Or are you talking to Brian Dable, who was a, another former Bill Belichick uh, assistant coach who did get the job? And mm. Belichick, you know, said, yeah, I, 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 I effed up. You know, my bad. I think they're going with Brian Dable. And uh, sorry about that. So that's Man. you know that's a lot. And, and 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 the thing is that's this suit is very risky, right? Because you know, uh he can he can get blackballed like he already well the fact the fact that he's you know, once you uh put a class action suit against the NFL, they're not they're yeah, not gonna man. hire you again. So it's a so it's a it's a sacrifice, but you know what? Good for him, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh that's how change occurs. So uh my thing is I hope he, you know goes all the way with this. Uh, I was a little perturbed, but with uh, Colin Kaepernick because they ended up settling. Yeah. And so everything didn't come out within the court of law. I would love if this didn't settle and he would take the chance of saying, Hey, I may not get anything out of this, but let's see everything come out. Yeah. And the only way that's going to happen is if it goes to trial. So and my, that's my opinion. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I would think that that's the only way that it's going to come out. So, yeah, we'll see. Well, we'll see how, what, what happens with this. We'll see. We'll check out these sports stories and more on the Easy Smoke and GM podcast. And also check out the Father Good podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's HP 53 Productions dot com. The gang. So, uh, you know, as it is the first day. Wait, uh, today's the second day of Black History Month. Sorry. As we're recording this, yesterday was the first day we were dealing worried about some snow here. But you know, Black History Month is very important. You know, with something that we talk about often here on the uh, STP, just celebrating our culture and just you know, it, just out and around in the world, right? And you're now starting to see on the screens and local places and the uh, commercials from these corporate companies celebrating Black history. All that stuff, the dashiki uh, stuff is around uh, in stores and in, and in corporate hangers. But however y'all get down, I don't care as long as you're celebrating Black history and promoting Black history. You know, I went to uh, my, my grammar school was very small, but I will say, man, they really like were ingraining in us to celebrate our Black history. And I always had a, made Black History Month a very big deal. And it didn't it didn't feel obligatory. Right. It was just like, let's make this a real celebration. You know what I'm saying? You can tell sometimes it's, for, it's forced me like, listen, it's Black History Month. We better uh, take a picture of somebody over here. Like, <laughs> where the black kids at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a picture. But, you know, I, I must say at my grammar school, shout out to them. Like, they really made it like a celebration. I'll never forget, man, singing Young, Gifted, and Black. Uh, and I didn't realize the significance of that song when I got, until I got, like, way older and, like, you know, who made it. I, that's the song they made a sing that I knew word for word for word, you know? And it just was... Uh, Great idea, man. But you know, is is there a black history person that a person from black history that you think about that has inspired you outside of Rick James? 
<laughs> why you why you put that out there, man? The great Celebrate Rick everybody. James. Rick James. I'm Rick James. No, um I think the first was probably uh Garrett Morgan. Yeah. You know, finding out that a black man invented the stoplight and 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 the gas mask. That's that's you know, things that you, you know, you see every day. Yeah, I, I always wonder, man, did he, um, you know, did he ever, like, really get paid from the patent or whatever? That's what, that, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I really, yeah. I'm with you. Like, I always wonder at the, about that because I just never can think of, I, I never, you know, you never hear about that. Like, we know, because, you know, I never forget when I was little, I heard that's like, wow, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, why don't we know more about this guy? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, yeah or, or or is the, you know, the Morgan family, if, you know. Right, they sitting uh, on some line, money. They, you know right, I mean? right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. Are, are these the family that these rappers be talking about? Like, I got money in my family loan. That's Gary Day Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> Patent money, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's it's that's just amazing, man. But yeah, it's, and I think that's the biggest thing, right? We That's what the Black History, you hear these names and you just kind of hope and pray that these are people that you still want to, um, you know, that they get still get celebrated. But also, my my Black History person that I I got two: Frederick Douglass and Benjamin Banneker. Man, those are the two I just have always have stuck with me throughout my like Black History, um, you know, uh, my Black History. Uh, when they brought him up to school and I had to write about people, those people always. Benjamin Banneker was a mathematician, and we all know who Frederick Douglass is. Um, but just excited to learn those people, but. Today we got a segment of all around the world with Dr. Williams, our favorite, one of our favorite guests. And of course, he gives us a background on Black History Month, uh, where it started, the intention, and how we can celebrate it today. So again, you know, get ready, get, get your notepads out, uh, get ready to listen intently to Dr. Williams. Today on the Super Duper Pie, we got my brother, your favorite professor, uh, Dr. Dwayne Williams, a.k.a. World, for another segment of All Around the World with World. Uh, how you doing, big bro? I'm doing fantastic, brother. It's always good to be here with you. You know, this, this is one of my favorite and best types of conversation. Somebody yes. I love, respect, talking about something important. So it's great. Absolutely. And this is the first day of Black History Month, so we definitely want to get you in the building to set us straight for the next 28 days. Uh, into the rest of the year, man. So, you know, when we started the pod, we started talking, you know, we thought this was going to be like this fun pod that we are. And it is still a fun pod. We talk about yeah, some stuff here and there. But, you know, George Floyd happened and we had to talk about race. And we've been talking about race a lot. And, it, and it's been therapeutic for us. You know, people who are, you know, black and non-black people, uh, they have found something interesting in the show. They've enjoyed some things, man. So I, I just didn't want Black History Month to go by without us having a real in-depth conversation about it. And you are the expert. Literally, you're a doctor in this stuff. So, you know, you, you are the person to have on, man. Because it's funny, you know, you see once it hit February 1st, it's all of the uh, Black History Month, uh, you know, the, dash, the dashiki uh, images all over, <laughs> all, all over the place. You know what yep. I'm saying? So I, de- I definitely want to get right to it, man. So uh, again, you're doing good, man. You're doing, doing real good. Fantastic. I couldn't be doing even better. If I do yeah. any better, they'll arrest me. My man, I want you to get arrested. So mm-hmm. all right, 
So let's so let's talk through a very basic question. Right? People may not even think about it this way. Uh, just in case you don't know, like, what's the purpose of Black History Month? Oh, it's several fold. So look, Black History Month started out as Negro History Week. That's mm-hmm. the first thing you got to understand. So I want to disabuse people a couple of things that uh, the typical kind of what I call undercurrent of conspiracy. Black History Month is not in February because it's the shortest month. Yeah. Just put it down. It's there because Dr. Carter G. Woodson admired his two of his great heroes, Abraham Lincoln and the incomparable Frederick Douglass, are both born in the first or second week of, of February. And he wanted to have a week in which he honored them. Um, and, you know, Woodson had a very specific task, right? So he starts the Association for the Study of Negro Life and Culture, which is now the Association for the African uh, Association for the Study of African American Life and Culture. And he was like, two things. One, I want people to understand that we don't we need to elevate, celebrate, and evaluate um, the history and legacy of those people of African descent. And the other thing I want to do is I want to challenge misperceptions and misrepresentations of, of who we are in, in our humanity. And so he set out to do that. He started that with that association. He started the Journal of Negro History. That's 1915, okay? And, and Woodson you know, grows up in Virginia slash West Virginia. Uh, he has uh, an incredible backstory. You know, he's the second African-American to get a PhD in history, the first being one of my other great heroes, William Edward Burkhardt Du Bois. And so he's a teacher, he's a principal, and all through his own experience, he realized, you know, I, I got trained at Harvard. I get finished, nobody's gonna hire me. He goes back and he's a principal at a school, okay? Just a regular old principal. Now here's the guy, one of the most distinguished persons, and he sets out saying, we need to celebrate and elevate this. And this is coming at the moment that Rayford Logan, the historian, uh, called the Naders. It's a, a generation after the low point from end of the Civil War, uh, Reconstruction Rail, 1876, into the turn of the century. As we talked about previously, with things like Wilmington, and you know, we're going to see the race riot and all that kind of stuff that happened, you know, the, the Red Summer, and and all these things that happened in Tulsa massacre. He's like. I'm not, this is not a good moment. It's a dark moment. And, and, and you know, you have the emergence of someone like Marcus Garvey and, and you, you know, United Negro, uh, Universal Negro Improvement Association. So people want to celebrate, they want to elevate, but they're also a little hesitancy. And he's a formally trained historian. He wants to celebrate that. He wants to put that at center. It starts off as Negro History Week. Um, by 1926, he started, it's, it, and it's in the spaces where Black people are elevating themselves. Where are our spaces? Our common grounds are our sacred places. And it's in churches and fraternal organizations. And it's within the community. If you are a person who's studying and celebrating Negro History Week, you're probably in a space that's common to Black people. Wherever we're having our social, our cultural, our intellectual, our leisure life, that's where it is. And it stays there in development. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in urban spaces. You know, Negro History Week developed at the very moment that we're having the Great Migration. So people are bringing the stories. They come into these spaces, they're in churches, they're in evangelical churches, they're in Baptist churches, they're starting there, you know, the Elks. And that's and 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 he recognizes because he's living in Washington, DC. He says, wait a minute, there's a lot of black people coming to these places. We can celebrate some of those things and we should do it. And it starts off and it's vigorous. You have um a lot of the new uh fraternities. Um, you know, in sororities, all of them are interested in, in, in legacy. These are first and second generation people who are just out of slavery. Their grandparents have been slaves. And now you see first the attack and the 
First there's hope, and then there's a, a, a dark moment. And now you see their emergence of, we need to celebrate ourselves. We have this new Negro, right? That Elaine Locks talked about. This guy who's not going to be scared to talk about who they are. They're not going to get beat down. They're not going to stand here and let people just run them over after World War One. And there's a kind of a cultural explosion. And he's a part of that. And he, again, goes from being a PhD. He goes to, uh, you know, he's living here in Washington, D.C. And he is thinking of ways to celebrate the fullness of African-Americans humanity. And that's that's African-American defined widely, people of African descent, okay? And what that means and making those connections, those cultural, political, and social connections. And, you know, for the first half century, most of those celebrations are happening again in black community. You may not remember this, but I actually remember very clearly when you were a little boy, you participated in black uh, history programs at church. And that comes that, that comes right out of out of Carter G. Woodson's experience. Keep this in mind, Rob. Carter G. Woodson, although he went to Harvard, he spent a lot of time in Hyde Park. He went to the University of Chicago, so he's walking in spaces that are very familiar to us. So can you imagine? And he was greatly influenced by being in Bronzeville, you know, being near Bronzeville. That informed his thinking about wait a minute in Washington D.C. And a city, a great city like Chicago, there are all these black people coming. They have stories to celebrate them. And he was doing that. He took that back to Washington. And for, again, there are black history, there are Negro History Week clubs. He spreads them out. He and his supporters and followers are doing that. And really the kind of version of Negro History Week, which becomes Negro History Month in 1970, students at at Kent State began to push for, you know what, we need to have a month, forget a week. This is after the black cultural tradition and black is, you know, uh, black is beautiful. That whole cultural springing up in the late 60s, and early 70s, students at Kent State say, let's expand so-called Negro History Month to make it Black History Month. That's 1970. And by 76, this is what's so beautiful. 50 years later, after we start this, Jimmy Carter says, hey, we're celebrating the bicentennial of the United States. We need to celebrate a wider sense of a American identity. And it's at that point that we get what is now coming known as a kind of federal and national recognition of, you know, the celebration of, of, of Black history, of African-American history. So our names have changed. We went from Negro to Black to Afro-American to African-American. But, but the objective has always been the same. Focus on um, the ideas about how our history is, is uniquely um uh, it's, you, it's essential and that African-American history, black history, Negro history, whatever your politics are, that's American history. And he and he said very clearly that we're celebrating this because those people have been marginalized. But to understand American history, you have to understand the, the experiences of black people crisscrossed and scattered and created in diasporas. That's that's one of the great things that he that, that he did, which is to say, hey, look, it's not that it's separate. It's not that it's an add-on. It's a central part of it. the whole common, uh, the whole current debate about the 1619 Project. All of that goes out of those traditional Black historians like Carter U. Wilson, like Du Bois, like others, like Rayford Logan. We got to go through the list of famous Black historians, George Washington Williams and others, who said, listen, we need to be in the business of celebrating Black achievement because guess what? Black achievement is central to American achievement, central to development of so-called American civilization and the things that make us who we are. And so you can't you can't disaggregate one without the other. Every transforming moment in the experience of America and the Americas in the world has uh, uh, the experience of black people at its center. And so if you miss that, you're missing a whole lot. So we've here we are, you know, uh, in 2022 
almost 100 years yeah, after we really yeah. got the ball rolling. And now it seems like you, you take it for granted, but it wasn't taken for granted. I'll, I'll stop with this. In 1919, during the Red Summer, Will, um, Carter G. Wilson almost got killed coming out of his house. We almost didn't have Black History Month. That's why I always tell people, because <laughs> he lived in the Shaw neighborhood. He comes out. He's almost killed. There's a, there's a race riot, typical, you know, classic, uh, you know, someone is charged in downtown and, and there's a reaction among um, some soldiers uh, who are saying we're going to go out and we're going to attack, you know, anybody who's black. And then the black community responds by saying, you're not going to attack us. All right. And so the shock community at that time is the kind of one of the centers of the black experience, because at that point, Woodson's a, 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 a faculty member, a dean at Howard. He's walking from his house on 9th and Q or 9th and V and he's going to Howard. He almost gets killed. So we never, we almost didn't have that moment where someone with his credentials, his energy, and his his purpose could have galvanized and institutionalized this this celebration. And now I would say, look, listen, when it gets commercialized to the point that Google's doing a Black History Month, um, you know, uh, commercial when the Google Doodle are black people, that's all to me. Uh, 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 honoring the tradition of Black historians like Carter G. Wilson, the institutionalization of the African-American experience is one of the things he wants to do, right? And so you hear people talk about critical race theory, but my response to that is something like this. Merely talking about and affirming humanity of Black people doesn't pose a threat unless you don't see Black people as humans, you don't see them as fully humans. And in that case, it makes sense. But merely talking about the fact of what we've done and how we've done it and the unique ways we've shaped every aspect of our life, it shouldn't make you feel bad. It should make you feel affirmed because again, African-American history is American history. It's why we have the hyphen. We got the African part, we got the American part, you yeah. put them together and that's the full story. And, 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 and the thing that makes Americans great, I'll say it again, is our hyphen, our ability to hyphen. We got an American part, you put whatever you want on that and you got your own identity. It's not either or, it's both and. You know, it's it's something man, like, uh, and you, you touched on it a bit, right? Just how, started out the original intention of the celebration of all these different black people across this country and we should be celebrating all the successes the wins the love that we have for each other and you kind of fast forward to now and you, and you know and i love to hear your analysis on this like how have we gotten away from that because like for example you know when black history month comes up it's almost like this mad rush right before a couple of weeks. What are we going to do for Black History Month, right? And then, and then we ended up doing the same things or similar, very similar things, right? And then mm -hmm. also, when you just said it, like, it was 100 years of Black History Month, what, six years ago? Seven years mm -hmm. ago? Mm -hmm. and, and now when the NFL hit 100 years, right? It was this big mm -hmm. old thing, right? Big campaign. I went downtown to watch the yep. Bears and the Green Bay Packers, the whole thing they <laughs> have for the start of the 100th season. You know what I mean? I know. And, and so it's 100 years of Black history. And I don't, I, I really can't recall 2015 being like this big, huge celebration of Black history. And I, mm -hmm. and again, and, and again, now with, you know, I know we talked about you, you uh, took out the uh, conspiracy theory, but listen, February is a busy month. Grammys, mm -hmm. Super Bowl, All-Star Game. Uh, I think the Oscars sometimes land in February. So it's like all these things happen that make us kind of, you know, it's happening, right? It's either at the top of the month or the end of the month people do things. So my question is, how do you feel we've gotten away from what uh, Carter G. Wilson was trying to establish back in 1915? 
I say, here's what I would say. I don't think we've gotten away from it. I think we, we just have a broader platform, right? Mm. You got to realize there are things, you know, we always have the tension of are things getting better? Are they getting worse? Right. Yeah. Look, history, the equation for history is change over time. And I would argue this, that whatever critique I would make about America and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm I, nobody's going to out American me. And I love the country so much that I'm going to give a vigorous and honest critique, critique as you know, as one of my, my heroes says, I'm going to tell the unvarnished truth about the past. Okay. But where we are in 2022 is very different than where we're in 1922. True. The ability to tell the story, the, the access that we have. And the irony is we should be further along in all aspects. But let's be very clear. The platforms that we have to tell the story, that's what people are distracted. We have these devices. We're on a, I'm on a phone and a computer. You're on a phone and a computer. The thing that Woodson was trying to say was this. He was trying to end the silence by elevating the visibility. So you got all these kind of the, the 1,000 great black men. Here's the thing. There was a generation of people who didn't even imagine that there were 1,000 black people that were greater than anything. And now we take for granted that in all the areas that define American culture, you talk about the Grammys, guess what? At the Grammys, what do we have? A variation of a celebration of black music tradition. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. We, when we look at movies, History is an image-making process. When we come to see, we believe. And if you look at the images and ideas that are driving that from costumes to uh, script writing, you just look at it, it's a very different place. So it's just that we have so many venues to do that. And most people are really, as I've said to you many times, their principal concern is about survival. And that's the story that that, that uh, Carter G. Wilson would have been happy. He said that we've survived, we've gotten better. And now when we get our little handheld computers, our phones, there are so many options. But sometimes people are even experiencing black history when they don't, when they don't even realize. If you go into an NFL football game, if you go into an NBA basketball game, if you go into a cultural venue, you're experiencing black history. We should see more of it. So Oscar shouldn't be so white. But here's the thing. Wilson would say, I've ended the silence. I need another generation or two of people, you, me, and others, to take it to the next level. But take Keep in mind that when he started, the only place you would be hearing these stories would be among black people. Yeah. That it wouldn't have been a part of the wider uh, uh, cultural American experience. And so in some ways, we haven't gone back. It's just that the kind of zigzag pro progression uh, reflects the kind of ways that people get distracted. They get distracted by life. They get distracted by other options. But even when they do that, it always permeates back. We always find ourselves in a sacred space, in a cultural space, in some way, some way, shape or form, celebrating even inadvertently the experiences of black people. And sometimes those experiences are harsh, they're difficult and they're painful. But now we're able to say them. We're able to have those conversations and people can deny. But as my you know, as my mother would say, you can't lie on the truth, even if you try. It doesn't work that way. So that's what Woodson was trying to do. He was trying to make a lie out of the idea that black people didn't have a history that was worth celebrating, right? Yeah. You know, that, that's the, I think it's the county culling poem, you know, um, you know, we were, you know, um, you know, what is Africa to me, right? That that's that was the frame. Well, Africa is a place of, is it a place of humanity or is it a place of uh, uncivilized people, you know? And so he put, he made clear and he wanted to make the argument that, that the origins of the African-American experience of black history was rooted in the original civilization that was there. He made that case. Others have made it. Others have made it before him. But he, what he did was he institutionalized and he brought the organizational structure to the things that other historians had done. 
And so we take a lot of those things for granted. That's about, that's, that's, that's not about things, you know, we've fallen back. That's really about recognizing that we do a better job of doing the same thing that he did, which is sustain the effort, elevate it. But remember this, I think on our last show, we had this conversation. We're arguing about critical race theory. Yeah. We wouldn't have had that conversation in the public. We're arguing about the 1619 project. Okay. The arguments are different because historians have done a good job of putting them, putting that in the public domain and giving people a chance to, to talk about it. I would say, albeit sometimes misrepresented, but the terrain of struggle is very different. We're actually no one saying with a straight face that the history of black people crisscrossing the Atlantic to paraphrase Paul Gilroy is not worthy of study, of celebration, and of, of deconstruction when necessary. Yeah. So then how can we celebrate Black History Month, right? Because I feel like, and, and maybe you can touch on it a bit, it, because of our platforms, like, you know, before, when, it, when, when in the 1950s and even like 50s, 60s, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's more of a unifying thing. Right. Because this community, we, we are we have a very common enemy that is really attacking us, killing us at this very one time. So we are all on the same page about, you know, agreeing. This is how we should honor our people and then recognize the first black person to do this and so on and so on and so forth. But now with so many black people that have done X, Y and Z. Right. And also varying degrees of which people view themselves, for example, like at a school like Williams and McAllister. Black history mm -hmm. program might be different than say at an HBCU, right? And that's mm -hmm. not to say to say each one is better, but I guess how how is there a general way that you know what's the common denominator with all the celebrations that we can have well, or, or acknowledgments of Black History Month? Oh, look, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you what I gave my students this week. The first thing I'm gonna say is whenever you're talking about anybody's identities, it's always about polarities, about plurals. There's no one way to be a Black person. There's no one way um, to celebrate, to acknowledge it. And Black History Month is a lot, it's, a, it's, a, it's about far more than celebration. We have to first get the celebration part out because mm -hmm. we have to have worthy of something to celebrate. That's the place to start. Mm -hmm. But where we are in terms of studying history, honoring history, and approaching it, I always say this, use my three R's. If you want to do history, you have to do three things. And some people may disagree with me. The first thing you have to do is you have to reconstruct. All right. And I don't mean the reconstruction area, although we should study it. You know, I'm we talking hate about that. We hate to hear the SDP. Hate the reconstruction yeah. area. Oh, man. Yeah. Sorry, so sorry, I'll sorry. Say this. First thing we reconstruct. Historians reconstruct by doing what? By using sources. We use primary and secondary sources. So the first R is reconstruction. OK, you want to do history? You got to look at the sources. The, uh, uh, politics is about opinions. Politics is about power. History is about what's the process of reconstruction? How are you going to reconstruct what really happened? You need sources to do that. As I tell my students and I tell everyone else, you're only as good as the sources that you use to start the conversation about history. OK, and the sources are not one. They're varied. OK, the voices are varied. OK, uh, they, they are varied as the communities and communities that we're studying. Number two, historians are not just in the business of gathering up um, sources, primary or secondary. The thing we have to do is we have to recreate. We're in the business of telling stories, plural. So we take those sources and we got to ask ourselves, what are the stories, plural, that we want to tell about the varied and complex experiences of Black people? That's what makes, that part of history is what makes it compelling. So for instance, if you get people in a room asking what's the cause of the Civil War, in Mississippi or Massachusetts, you're gonna tell different stories depending on the sources. So the second R is 
how are we going to use the sources to recreate, to tell the story, that part? We, we got to be writing. We got to be podcasting. We got to be making films. All those are acts of recreation, of recreating something, okay? If you do that, which is where most people stop, and either you like it or not, so students will, one of my goals as a teacher, as a historian, is always to get students to admit that history is not boring. When they say it's boring, it's only because you've done the first two. Oh, you get a primary source. Okay, I think I know what it is. Okay, I like this story. I don't. Here's the third part. The third R is this, reinterpreting the past. Tell me why these sources are meaningful. So you, you got the sources. You told me a story. Why is it meaningful? Why do we need to know about the Tulsa race massacre? So I got the sources. I got videos and I got primary sources about what people saw on that day. But what historians do, and I don't mean just professionally trained historians, those of us who like history, who support history, who are allies of the past, have to do that third part. We have to be in the business, and you're doing it, of consistently telling stories and giving meaning to it. You can disagree with it. We can disagree with it, okay? But the disagreement is an act of history. It doesn't require that there be one singular answer. Some people like math and science because, hey, I like to have an answer. But as a historian, I want there to be a contestation about the meaning. So if you do those three R's, if you reconstruct and you recreate and you reinterpret and you do that regularly about the things that are important to you, you are doing history and that's how you get people engaged. That's why you can remake songs or remake movies. Each of those are acts of history. And so if you have those three R's and you just practice that, you're in such a good, you're in such a good space. Okay. You're in a really, really strong space, but that takes practice. That's why podcasting is so important. That's why it can't be maybe in a format, just in a book. It has yeah. to be in something that will allow people to engage in that. Final point I would make is this. The best way I always get people to start, if they kind of like, okay, I get the three R's. Okay, I got it. I always ask them this. I either ask them, who's the greatest singer? Rita Franklin, Mahalia Jackson. Uh, who's the greatest rapper? Okay. The moment you ask you those questions, you're inviting people to be a part of the story. What's going to be what's going to be the sources to determine who's the greatest who's the greatest basketball player? Is it who I think it is? Oscar Robinson? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron? Is it a contender? Can we compare by era? All those Rob are about sources. And once you get the sources, are we going to look at the fact that we'll average fifty point two points uh, in the era? That's are we going to look at the fact that Steph Curry has this fun up? What are we going what are we going to do? Right? All those are problems to solve, but you build your understanding about the past. And you look at how history, if, I, if history has changed over time, if the equation has changed over time, the way you understand that change over time is reconstruction, recreation, and reinterpreting. Tell me why Oscar Robinson is the greatest player in the world. Tell me why averaging a triple-double for two seasons is, is an indication of greatness. Tell me why Will Chamberlain, why LeBron, why Michael Jordan. You pick away. It's the sources. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's the sources. Tell me what story you want. Tell me about Michael Jordan. All right. Is Bill Russell the greatest? OK, he had 10 rings. He played the league 13 years. His team won a championship 11, 10 or 11 times. Is he the greatest? What's the measure? Yeah. So anytime we're doing that, it can be number of Grammys, number of Oscars. It could be the number of things we don't know, number of books. That could, all those are acts of history. Hang your hat on those three R's and you got it. The problem, of course, what you're really asking me is, OK, if you buy that argument, which what I hear you saying, what I'm saying is this. Well, why don't we do that? That's a different story. Yeah, but that's yeah. what we need to do. That's the remedy for it. Yeah, because I think you brought it up because because my, my issue, 
I shouldn't say issue. What I always know is, like I said at the beginning, right? We kind of rush to Black History Month, like, and then we end up, you know, when since we don't spend so much time thinking about it, we just kind of pick up the, you know, the low hanging fruit, the easiest thing is the way to honor. And uh, we don't really, you know, like you said, there's a big way to kind of talk about Black history. Like I will say at my college, out of the Williams College, every mm-hmm. year we had a theme, you know, oh, for Black history, thing. right? And then like yep. one, and then one month we had four different themes. It was, it was like Black love was one week, you know, uh, yep. education was another week. And I mean, we really were having real conversations about how it affected us and it carried us through the rest of the school year. But I think, like you said, what we get into is just, we don't really start deep, deep in dot diving deep into what we can really do because for example when i was a kid and even in high school when the school would do black history stuff it's like they had a black history folder with all the decorations and they Mm -hmm. put it up and every january the the last week of january they put all the same pictures up Mm -hmm. and and it's like they got you know mary mcleod bethune and you know malcolm x and uh who else Uh, marcus garvey and Uh now it it all it always stopped at like Dr. King and Malcolm X. Right now, same people. Then it skips to President Obama. And my question mm-hmm. has always been like, what about that people in between President Obama right. and the civil rights? Like, I don't right. I, I don't know. Well, and maybe because and maybe because from the from slavery to civil rights and President Obama is just kind of the hey, that's what all this fight was for. But it's like, what about this period of time? We never really seem to connect that, I feel. Maybe I'm wrong. We never really connect that to Black history. What do you think about that? Well, I want to say, I don't disagree with you. I just think think that you have to have a fuller interpretation. I'm going to say two things. So I I, I got two two thoughts about it. First is what I call call the conundrum of Easter. All right? Let me explain what I mean. Mm -hmm. Every Easter, we tell the same story. Yeah. Guy shows up. He's in the world for three decades. He has 12 cats with him. He performed miracles. There is not, and I know this about you because I've literally known you since you didn't exist, okay? <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say this. We tell the same story on Easter, not because when we go to Easter, we're, gonna, we're not going to find out that he rose on the third day and that we're not going to find a miracle. Here's why we tell the Easter story, because it bears repeating. Mm-hmm. All right. It, there, it, we don't tell the Easter story because, uh, OK, we're not sure Rob and Dwayne are going to understand. No, we tell the story because we're reinforcing it. So when you hear up, you see all the pantheon of, of African-American achievement. Be careful about poo-pooing it. OK, yeah. because no, I'm not poo-pooing oh, it. it. Go ahead. No, I no, no, I got I'm saying one of the things is with that's the Easter. That's 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 what I was. Saying. That's our Easter story. OK, we're that's telling fair. it because it bears repeating. You can't hear enough times about the things that any of these people have done, even if you forgot it or you remember it. Every year I tell the story about Carter Wilson and I learned something new. I'm going to tell you something interesting that I learned new before we before we go. Mm. But so that's the Easter part of it. We, it bears repeating. OK, the second thing is this. That there are links between each of those transforming moments. OK, again, when you come to D.C. next, I'm going to take you into the aftermath. History Museum. Man, I can't wait to go. Yeah. All right. And when we go there, you're going to see Baldwin's quote. What's Baldwin's quote? It's a variation of this. History is not principally about the past. It's about the present and all that we do. We have to first tell the Easter story. Let's just make sure everybody in church, both the, the religious church, the sacred space, and the non-sacred space understand this. And I use that metaphor, whether you are uh, Christian, Judeo-Christian or not, because the metaphor holds true, which is, if we can have some agreement about the fact that this story has imbued with meaning both in the retelling of it, but also in the 
fact that some people are being introduced to it for the first time. It might be your 26th time hearing Mary Bacall Bethune, but guess what? The reason I became a historian was this. Miss Axelrod looked at me and this is what she said to me. She said, your name is Dwayne Williams. You know who you remind me of? I said, no. She says, you remind me of Dr. Daniel Hill Williams, the first African-American to, to have an open heart surgery. That's who you're going to be for, for Black History Month. OK, that's what she told me as a third or fourth grader. And her thing was, I don't know about something, but I got to get you to buy into the idea that you can associate with it. I don't know if she picked me for Daniel Hill Williams because of the last name. I don't know if it's Chicago, but the teacher made that choice. So we got to tell the story and then. We have to make the connections. Someone like me, I have an affirmative obligation to be in the business of making the connections. We use Black History Month to highlight those things, but everybody always says Black History Month is 12 months out of the year because guess what? The American history is 12 months out of the year. And it's just, uh, people kind of, you know, we always a little torn between, so we celebrate it or not. We should celebrate it, but we're not celebrating it less in, in January or March. It feels that way, but if you think about the ways in which your life crisscrosses Black experience, yeah. you'd be very surprised. It, it's a lot more common here. So stick with my three R's. Uh, think about that Easter metaphor as with, with doing it because it bears repeating, and some people are hearing it for the first time, just like some people come to church for the first time, and they say, I never knew. Right. That, the, that that Jesus raised Lazarus like that. I didn't actually know that story. Now, you and I know it, okay? But somebody doesn't know the story. So we're repeating it for them to pick them up along the way. And then we have to make the connections. We can't assume that just because somebody makes the connect, just because we tell them the story, they're going to get it. The get it part is up to us who've been at the Easter ceremony before, who's been at the Black History Ceremony say, you understand why they're doing that, right? You understand that while there were people like this guy, you saying uh, Martin Luther King, he wasn't the first person to do it. You got to understand Asa Philip Randolph. You got to understand Martin Delaney. You got to understand all the black women who played a transforming role. You got to understand that in our community, someone like Bernard Rustin, who is an African-American man who's identifying as queer, he's the person who organized the March on Washington. He's the person who told Dr. King, hey, man, you are as soft as butter down here in Montgomery. You asking white people to um, give you a, 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 a benevolent version of white supremacy. You got to demand more. We got to tell that story. The story is there. OK, we just adding to people's understanding. But some of us need to do some of us who are trained, the Carter G. Wilson's. I'm not saying I'm Carter G. Wilson. Those are people like me. Our job is to make the connection. How can you make the connection if there's no connective tissue that you can point to? So you start there. What we often do, and, what, and I have this criticism as well, which is if you only stop at the celebration, then you can't make the connection. If you only stop at the celebration of, oh, this person is great, then you can't ask those questions. History doesn't require that we be perfect. History requires that we ask the questions and we keep asking those questions and insisting that we not settle for one answer. There are many right ways to be a Black person, many right ways to understand Black history. It's our job to allow that space to be there and not just cut it off. Now, some people just want to only tell the celebratory side. They don't want to talk about slavery. Some people only want to tell, you know, difficult parts. They feel like we're honoring pain, but they coexist. Yeah. Right. They coexist. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the and I, you kind of touched on it a bit. The point I get, I think you you kind of eloquently, you know, made, set me straight. But I, but the point I was making was the was this to like you just said, there are so many additional figures that we never touch or that we never talk about 
that we never, you know, we never scratched the surface on. But 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 I agree with you though. Even if you never heard the story, or like for like for small for small children, these cornerstone, these Mount Mount Rushmore people, like if you don't hear anything else about Black History Month, you should hear about these people in your own research. You can figure out the rest why this mm-hmm. is a big deal, why this is a big. Moment and we shouldn't make it so hard. We shouldn't make it so hard. Let me yeah. let me give you an example. Today I was in the classroom. I was in the classroom. I had. It was there were 10, 10 or 12 students in the classroom. I asked the question that I thought and I thought wrongly was obvious. I said, hey, listen, I gave him a list. I gave him a list of all of the African-Americans who had served in the U.S. Senate from the beginning, from Reconstruction to the present. I started with Hiram Rebels, who's the first person to do it. I covered Cory Booker and all, um, all the current senators, OK, a certain number. And I asked him this question. What do these people have in common? Nobody could kind of figure it out. And I had, of course, Barack Obama's there, Roland Burr's there. I'm happy to say that my home state of Illinois has produced the most uh, uh, African-American senators in the history of the country. Yes, my sir. home state, my home, listen, my hometown, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. I then turned to this question. I said, can you tell me, and this is a group of AP government students, 12th graders. I asked them, I said, tell me the names of the two african Two African-American women who served in the U.S. Senate. Blank. Blank. Now, remember, this is these are AP government students. They're studying the Congress. We hemmed and hawed. I let them hem and haw for about 15, 30 seconds. I said, let me give you the answer. The first, again, I hate to say this. I'm not bragging. She comes from my hometown from High Park. It's Carol Mosley Brown. She's the first black woman to ever serve in the U.S. Senate in the history of the country. And the second one is Kamala D. Harris. They looked up like, now remember, 12th graders, Kamala Harris was a senator? I said, wait a minute. That election happened last year, okay? <laughs> They're all on social media. Yeah, yeah. They didn't know. Okay, I'll forgive them for Carol Mosley Brown. Yeah. But the Kamala students Harris, looked yeah. at me. They were like, hey, Dr. Williams, you're telling me in the whole history of the country, from 1776 or 1787 or 1619, wherever you want to start your story. Till now, there's only been two black women who've ever served? I said, yes. And here's the question. This goes to your point. Why didn't anybody ever, why didn't somebody in the group ask me this question? Why did nobody ever tell me that before today? That's what I told them. My rule about teaching is this. If you ever see me in any teaching context, I got one goal. I'm going to give you something that you couldn't have gotten if you didn't see me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I gave them today. Stuff you should have known. You should have known about Carol Mosley Braun. You should have known about Kamala Harris. You should have known those are two black women who were sinners. And no one ever told you that, but it was worth knowing. Okay. And I gave you that. But what if I'm not there? What if I don't ask that question? Okay. That's a simple thing. But remember, we can't assume because young people have more access to resources, technological resources, they know more. It is not true. Managing technology is a skill, just like managing any source, okay? An iPhone, a smartphone, a computer, um, a social uh, network, those are those require skills, yeah. okay? And if we're not giving them the information to be able to mediate those skills, they miss the obvious stuff like, hey, Jesus had 12 disciples. Hey, there are two black women who served. And I ended them with this. I was being both facetious and serious. I said, there have only been two Black women who've ever served in the U.S. Senate. But the question I have for you is this. How many Black women have served on the Supreme Court? And they looked at me like, what? I said, the answer is zero. But we're about to have one. We're about to have one. It's 2022. So maybe you don't know about about that one. Yeah, yeah. 
And maybe you don't know about the olden days of the 1980s or the 1880s, but it's 2022. And at this point today, we have zero African-American women who've ever served on the Supreme Court. We got two who served as men, but zero. And, oh, I forgot to tell you, and it was a room of all women. I said, listen, you shouldn't be okay with that. That I turn over to you. I've carried the ball, okay, to a certain point, but now I've given you something. And you should ask that question. Why have there been, there's been, in the whole history of the country, not one black woman was possible, right? And I ended by telling them, I gave them a name, Pauli Marshall, Pauli Murray. Pauli Murray is who you should know. She's the person who in the 30s and the 40s was talking about issues about desegregation before Thurgood Marshall was, but you don't know about her. She should have been our first Supreme Court uh, nominee. All due respect to the incomparable Thurgood Marshall. But if nobody told you about Pauli Murray, how would you read about her? How would you know about her? Okay? Yeah. Those are the things we got to do. That's yeah. how it gets done. It gets done. It's hand-to-hand intellectual combat. That's what we're doing. And we got to tell our kids that. We repeat. We add new information to it. We repeat and we expand. But you can't act like you're going to get all that in one conversation. How could you possibly wrap your mind around the complexity of the experiences of black people, both nationally or from the diaspora with one conversation. It's a constant conversation. People don't want to do that as much as they want to. They want to know stuff, but do they want to sustain the effort? Well, we got to figure out a way to help them do that. That's what I feel like. That's my job. That's my calling. It's to help people sustain their understanding, their interests, and their desire to want to know more by giving them things they might reasonably want to know. And this is the point I was going to make, I think, uh, you know, you and I both grew up in Jeffrey Manor. Mm-hmm. And black and it's blackity black, right? And I feel yep. like, you know, because I was thinking about it, how you know now I have to really push black history on my children, because like you said, mm-hmm. we were living black history, right? Mm-hmm. Every day, day in, day out, and it's like you know the stories our people told us were about black history. Now it may not have been this national shifting, right. but you know, you knew the first the first kid, you know, you didn't say black kid, but you knew it was assumed. The first kid to get right. out the hood to do this. The first person to buy this. The first person to get that. So we live in black history. But you know, my children go to school in the Beverly area. You know Beverly. Hey, and for I those who don't, do. those who are not from Chicago, Beverly, Beverly is 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 more as a more as a wider neighborhood than Jeffrey Manor. Way than Jeffrey Manor. I'm actually yeah. just flipped. And so now with my children, you know, I, I think, you know, and I was going to grammar school. I had I had white teachers. I had a white yeah, principal. Yeah. But but the thing is, black history was always pushed. I mean, like it was a big deal. And that's not to say my children's school, they don't push black history, but it's a yeah, different push. It. Right. And yeah. so, like, I can even tell, you know, they're doing the best they can to acknowledge it. But like you said, it was on me to say, all right, what can I teach you? What's the black person of the black history of the day? What, you know, do you know about it? Do you know, like, what black means to, to you versus this? You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I think as we get older and, we, and we're into more spaces, because, again, you talked about how it started. It was only in spaces where black people kind of gather together and it would be accepted and celebrated. But now in 2022, right? There are right. a lot of, and maybe, and maybe it's a little different now because of the last few years, but definitely it had been more black people have been, you know, involved in spaces that they normally weren't involved, weren't invited to or let right. in, right? And so now right. it becomes this level of, you know, not to say everything's cool, but we're better now. I guess now people think a little different, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Kind of yes, got to I, a point where it's like, you know, everybody's cool, this whole, this cool. whole, yeah, talk yeah. about it. Talk yep. about it, but but it's, it's still but like you said it's still this push to like 
if if we don't tell the story like i mean it hit me i'm like man what if my boys and my baby girl get to high school mm-hmm. and they have a weird understanding of you know blackness and you know what i'm saying and and, and and just black history that falls squarely on me right it's mm-hmm. like if i don't tell them if we don't talk about it if we don't show the books right. that's on me it ain't nobody else you know what i mean but right, i think right. we forget it definitely that starts there yeah, but we forget, you know, and it hit me till we just said it right now. We were living Black history every day based just because just of where we live. And I feel like a lot of kids now aren't, it's, we're not always living Black history like we, we, we are, been. though. We just live in a different version. Listen, yeah. we live in a version of working class Black history that was invisible and it's been elevated. Yeah. Um, our own individual and collective effort with the support of people who loved us allowed us to elevate that conversation to a different space. It's a good thing. As my late grandmother would say, we started out on the West Side, but it was never our intention to end there, okay? Mm-hmm. We started at 2858 West Roosevelt Road, 60612, <laughs> but it was never the intention to end there, all right? We wanted to live you know, in a decent house in Beverly with our family and, 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 and do the things that people do to live our version of the American dream. That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah. And one of the things we have to keep uh, out in front of us in, in this kind of conversation is to resist the need to be to be static. History is about change over time. It's okay if my grandchildren grow up and they have a different version. They've added to our understanding in their narrative about identity um, that adds all the things that we add. We used to just talk about race. We just talk about black. Now we've expanded the, the many ways that you can be. You can be trans. You can be a part of the LGBTQ community. All those things exist. They've always existed. It didn't happen in 2022. It didn't happen. In, it was there in 1922. It was there in 1822. It was there in 1722. So it's always been there. It's just that we, we have actually got to be comfortable with the fact that we're allowing our children to explore those things and, again, resist the need to be static. History is about change over time, and you can be any kind of person you want. Just don't be a confused person. That's why I always tell people. You can be <laughs> any kind of person you want. Don't be confused. And you don't need to be confused because the information is available for you. You are a resource for your children. I'm a resource for mine, our family, and our friends. But we can't say, well, you know, I'm worried because what happens? If, guess what? Our The body of work suggests that when we turn the future over to young people, they figure out ways to do it, okay? Your father, my father, your grandparents, okay? My grandparents, did they worry about those things? Of course they did, but they turned them over to us and based on what's happening, guess what? You turned out to be pretty good, all right? You turned, it turned out, it turned out that the trust they had with your father and with you and you have, it's gonna be okay. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't involve risk. It doesn't mean that it's not perilous, but guess what? Rob, it's always been that way. We're talking about people who crossed the transatlantic, okay? And now they are living in Beverly. Now, maybe you don't see that as a thing, but let me tell you something. That's a thing. From the transatlantic trip to Beverly is a thing, man. And guess what? That thing is called history. That's changed over time. And I'll make it even simpler. Let's just go from Bolivar to Hoxie, from Hoxie to Beverly. Just tell them what we did. Don't, don't, Don't say anything. Hey, Chase, this is what we did. We started here, okay? This is the soil we came from. Your grandfather and your grandmother did this thing. And for over a half a century, they were, they're in that space. But guess what? You didn't stand there. You didn't stop there. I know you were there in the Berkshire Mountains hanging out there in Williams, okay? And guess what? 
you went from Hoxley to the Berkshire Mountains, and then you went other places, and now you're in Beverly. You have no idea where the trip is going to go, because guess what? You cannot see things you cannot imagine, and you cannot imagine things you cannot see. That's history, okay? That's what you're asking. History is about having some imagination, all right? Rooted in the sources, okay? The reason you can dare to have those imagination is because you got the sources. We were talking about your father earlier. Guess what? Literally for over four decades, I know what he did. Is he in any history book? No. Is he a part of history? Heck yeah. He is the embodiment of the experience. This is a guy who has three children. He has grandchildren. He can sit back and he, he can say, Robbie, I need you to top me. Rob, can you top this? Can you mm -hmm. top what I just did? Yeah. Can you produce a son like me? Because guess what? Look in the mirror. I see my son. You have a son. That's the story. That requires imagination. And the only way you can have imagination is, again, you got to see things you can imagine. All Black people, no matter where we are, Tulsa, Oklahoma, L.A., wherever we are, Bangor, Maine, they are imagining the, their lives. And all Carter G. Wilson did was allow that imagination to be validated, not to be challenged, not to be invalidated. Do people question it? Yes. But now it's, question, it's a real battle. And so, yeah, we, we have to do that. That's the history part. We're changing over time. We're going from generation to generation. But we're not making these things up, okay? We can look in our individual lives and point to examples. We don't actually need to look in history books. We can just look at the people that we admire most in our lives and say, that's history. I mean, your father is an embodiment of a kind of history, yeah. okay? Tennessee to Chicago, Chicago to Beverly, the places that you and I have gone, trust me, when your father started out, my father started out in Dolomite, Alabama, he never imagined that I would do the things that I did. Because guess what? You cannot see things you cannot imagine. You cannot imagine things you cannot see. He yeah. knew. All he knew was this. And I'll stop here. All I was told was when I was born, he only said one thing. He said something like this. I don't know anything about college, but this boy right here, this son of mine, he's going to go to college. We hadn't had people go to college yet. Why did he, why did he dare to imagine that thing? He's from Dolomite, Alabama, not Birmingham. He's from Dolomite, Alabama, outside of Birmingham. And you're going to tell me that he came up with the idea that this son's going to go this? And guess what? It happened. Yeah. The thing that he said happened. I don't know where he came with that. You do the same thing. I do the same thing for our, for our children. Your father had something in his head. That thing he had is history. He took that history. He molded it. And here's the thing. Rob, he made you. He made, he did that thing, man. But we don't know. We All we know is he was fueled by who he was and his parents and what he thought and what he wanted different and better and more. That's history. It isn't the great civil rights struggle. It isn't just the on Selma. It's the everyday normal things that make us who we are. That's the thing that, that makes history. That's what Black History Month is about. It's about the everyday. It isn't just about extraordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And we have, all of us have, if we're lucky, we have at least one of them in our lives. The thing about you and I is this, we have multiple people like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. We can tell a story about your mother, my mother, your grandparents. We can just go on. on. Those are the people, they aren't in any history book, but guess what? They're making history. Yeah. They're absolutely making history. So just keep that in mind. All you're telling the triplets, all I'm telling my grandchildren and my other children are, these are just the things that I did. Like we actually did those things. I'm not making up anything.
those are the sources. The stories we sing, the songs we sing, the places we go for Easter, the way we celebrate our tradition, every one of those things is history. It is not just the great things. So we just be stuck on those things. We still celebrate those great human achievements, but I like the mundane. I like the ordinary. I'm a social historian. I want to know what does the ordinary person do to live their life fully and completely. And when I can tell that story using the sources and give meaning to it, I feel like I've done history. I want people to know the important people because there are some extraordinary people. Carol Mosley Brown is extraordinary. Kamala Harris is extraordinary. We can go on and on. But even if you got the students, people, citizens need to know that even the most person you think is the most ordinary person has, has done something that is worthy, right? All right. Edward P. Jones says, the, the writer says, we are all worthy of each other. That's the thing you got to understand. And I'll, I'll stop by saying that Carter U. Wilson allowed us to have Black History Month to remind us that we are all worthy of each other, that the things we do as humans are worthy of being acknowledged, being seen, and being sustained over time. Man. As always, world, you, you you drop some knowledge on this man, and you teach me something every time I speak to you. That's why I always love uh, having you on the pod, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> listen, being kind, appreciate you, it. I really you, do. You gotta leave us with a book. What what books we be checking out, man? Oh, listen, man, you get you pitching underhand to me now. I'm ready for you. <laughs> I'm ready for you. Listen, I got a thousand books. I'm gonna I gotta send you, um, rather than books, because one of the things you taught me uh, last time at our conversation was. How do we get around the busyness of our life? Okay. So I'm going to send you this list of 13 poems everybody should read for Black History Month. They're hmm. short, they're accessible. And I'm going to I'm going to challenge you to, to uh, look at Lucille Clifton's poem that I read today in class called uh, I'm Accused of, of Attending to the Past. That's the thing I wish everybody read. It's by Lucille Clifton, the great poet, Marilyn Poet, the African-American woman poet. It's called I Am Accused of tending to the past okay. you need to read that that's that's where i started february 1st with i started with that poem okay and uh, uh i talked about the idea of what does it mean when people are saying that we are the um you know the caretakers of the past what happens when we take on that responsibility what are the challenges the perils the opportunities and what are the consequences of it that poem is about that thing and i tell you it might be because Clifton's so great as a poet. It's a verse, what I call almost a, a, a long version of a haiku. It might be 15 lines. And let yeah. me tell you something. You're going to send me a text later and you're going to be like, wow, follow that, follow that end, follow that beginning, those first two lines. I'm accused of attending to the past as if I made it, as if I sculpted it. But it was here waiting for me when I got here. That's wow. what she says. And then she ends with something, okay? Read that poem. And I'll send you the rest of them. Share it with folks. There are 13 poems everybody should read uh, for Black History Month. I can go through all of them, but I would say start with that. This is a good month to read some classics, to read, you know, my people, Mari Evans, to read uh, the great, uh, you know, the great series of writers who are getting at Black history in a way that's bite-sized. And you're going to have a hard time to explain to me why you can't read Lucille Clifton's I'm, I'm Accused of Tending to the Past. Somebody would have to really, really tell me, if you're that busy, as my father would say, you need to do, you need to do fewer things, okay? You, everybody can read that poem. So I'll say that. Not a book, but a poem and a list of poems that I got here uh, on my phone that I will send to you really ASAP. But please start with Lucille Clifton uh, and let me know. I want to hear what you think about that poem. 
I will, man. Damn, world. Love you, man. Again, it's another segment of All Around the World with World on the Super <laughs> Duper Podcast. My man, I love you, bro. I really do, man. I love you just as much. I'm matching your pace. Hey, look, I love you. We're going to be in the same place at the same time. My goal is for us to do a, a, a show together in the same space. That's what I'm. That's my next Let's act. do it. I'm Let's sure do you got to give me a book in advance so I can read and get the cliff notes. And I'm okay, sure ready to I go. All right. <laughs> I love you, bro. Hey, look, I love you. Give love to everybody. You know I support you. Anything I can do, and I'm going to take into uh, account the suggestion you gave to me, and we're going to do something with it, okay? Yes, sir. Please do that. Please do that, man. Take care, man. Love you, bro. All right. Bye for now. Again, I want to thank Dr. Williams for joining us on the SDP, again, for another segment of All Around the World. I always learn something from Dr. Williams. Really, really do. And, uh, you know, one big point is that, you know, I just want to highlight, you know, we, as you said, we're, we're always living Black history. You know, black history aren't in just these these celebrity people or the popular people that we see, right? It's it's in the people that we are living with all the time. You know, he he made a point in the podcast about like my dad coming from Bolivar, Tennessee, to the south side of Chicago, and so then I and then his son can go to school in Massachusetts and you know buy a house you know on a certain side of Chicago, right? And it's like that's black history when you really lay it out. And so I, I, I encourage us all, you know, not just to, 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 to notice the Black history that's always around us, the Black history that we are. And that is something, as he said, the story bears repeating. That's why we talk about it every year, because it's, a, it's an amazing story. And it might be somebody who doesn't know about it. Like there might be somebody who doesn't know about all the famous Black people that have invented things or added to the American culture that have uh, made impact in sciences. Um, that have really made this world go round, and so this this is a very important time of year. And you know, I think sometimes maybe we've gotten away from like uh, you know how important it is, you know, what I mean. But it's still there's still time. And I and shout out to the NBA; they always they have the Black History Always program uh, with the teams. And then you probably noticed it uh, on some of the broadcasts. They'll have Black History Always, and they'll highlight a certain person associated with a team or the city of a team. I think that's pretty cool because that's always, you know, the, the other part of it is too, right? There's so many people. Sometimes we get stuck on the same number of people that we keep that we talk about, which is fine. But also, there's so many more examples of Black history and Black excellence that we that we know personally, right? That we can think of. Let's celebrate those people any way we can. So. I encourage you all to, you know, check out your local museums, look up anything for Black history, and also in your own families if you are Black. And if you're not Black, you know, I'm sure some Black people let you celebrate Black history with them. You know what I mean? It's, it's still, when George Floyd happened, right, people were calling and apologizing about, you know, hope I wasn't offensive, that kind of thing. Well, this is the time to call and say, hey, can I learn more about your family or your culture or your history? Let's, nothing's wrong with that as well. So, Again, it's the first, the second day, I keep saying first, second day of Black History Month. But again, Black History is all year. But this is just a time for us to really focus and celebrate. And nothing's wrong with that, right? It's nothing's wrong with highlighting it and saying, hey, this is a really big deal. Even though we celebrate it all year, all year long, let's really make a real focus and a real effort to celebrate our people and our culture. Yeah, shout so, it out. There's no yeah, doubt. Nothing no wrong doubt. with that. Absolutely. So again, thank you for listening to the Super Duper Pie. We do not take your listens lightly. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at S-U-P-A-D-U-P-A-P-O-D. Shout out to Sri Lanka Barbie and Bitcoin traders. Uh, but real people are welcome. And also follow us at HP53Productions.com for our merch and also other content. As did I miss anything? No, nah, I think you covered it, man. Hey, man, happy Black History Month to you, my brother. You as well. 
All right. You guys have a great week. Take care of yourselves and each other. God bless you. This is the Super Duper Podcast. Or do the case stand for kamikaze? The J silent is everywhere. You can feel them falling. Sure, lately I've been up late with what? demons in my basement trying to get me to hate this. What? Life thinking I should be further, and then I choke up. As soon as I got silent, then the truth spoke up. This said, How you know you ain't perfect? Let that soak up and soak in. You know how you know that you're blessed. I woke up.